Fine Dining, the search for the most mediocre restaurant in America, is a podcast where comedian Michael Ornelas is traveling the country, eating at all chain restaurants in search of the perfectly average 5.0 out of 10 dining experience. The objective middle threshold of where bad becomes good. Friend of the Doughboys, Marissa Pinson and John Glover were the most recent guests as they reviewed Costco's Food Court. It's a two-part episode that covers everything from discontinued menu items to how many Costco hot dogs they could fit in their mouths. Damn, I wish I was on that episode. I'd crush that. Head over to linktree.com slash fine dining podcast, uh, F-I-N-E-D-I-N-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and click B's giveaway to enter a giveaway for an all-expenses-paid trip to your local Applebee's, the current frontrunner for the most mediocre restaurant in America at 5.02 out of 10, for you and up to three of your friends. And you can watch or listen to Fine Dining on your platform of choice while you're there. Enter by May 1st, and the winner will be announced on the May 8th episode. Disclaimer, $50 will be provided for transportation along with a $200 Applebee gift card. I love doing those fast read disclaimer things. Go give fine dining a listen. The search for the most mediocre restaurant in America. This is a HeadGum Podcast. What's up, shitheads? Welcome back to another episode of High and Mighty. It's me, the host, John Gabris, the number one fuck boy, the number one fuck boy, the number one fuck boy. If you can see why I'm not as committed to that voice today, it's because we have a special episode, another special episode of High and Mighty. We're talking with Fanshees today, and specifically, I got Ben Rogers and Sean Conroy, my two Fanshee mates. Say hello, gents. Hey, what's up? I'm sharing a mic with Gabrus, so I'm going to be talking even less than I normally do. <laughs> and I, I get my own mic. <laughs> I'm sharing a mic with Rogers, which means I will be steamrolling him this yeah. entire conversation and screaming my hard-boiled egg breath into his face. But lucky for us, we are joined by Banshee writer-producer Adam Targum. Is that how you say your last That's name? That's right. And the man himself, the, the, the silent killer, Burton, Matt Rouch. Is that how you say your last name? Something I should have checked before I hit record. That is how you say my name. <laughs> Do you go by Matty Rouch? Because I feel like uh, on Twitter I see, uh, uh, you know, John Matty and Greg. Is, yeah, people call me Matty, people call me Matt, people call me Matthew. Rouch is uh, how you pronounce it. I All prefer right. to call him number two fuckboy. <laughs> oh, Matt Rouch, the number two fuckboy. It's that always makes good sure. to do a podcast <laughs> with your boss. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, uh, for those of you, like, guys, this is, we're talking episode two, episode 42, 402, 402 whatever the business what terms are. We're talking episode 402, which, Adam, you have your names on the episode. It is. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to say, before we get into the episode and talking about all the stuff we want to talk about with you guys, seeing Matt smile was so unnerving because I just expected him to be like Burton. I was so terrified. And, and then he came and, up and, and not I, having spectacles on. Yes, right. yes. You know but he did take his son he did take his sunnies off and I thought we were gonna die. Yeah, that actually surprises me because I always look at Burton as the happiest, most well adjusted character on Banshee. It's, I've always it, thought that Burton was the person who knows the most about himself on Banshee. It's true. It's I, true. Well it is a world's tallest midget competition. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is a town almost exclusively made up of gang members and morally bankrupt. Right. As, my, as my father likes to say, you can't fall out of a ditch. So. Right. <laughs> They've got some problems in this town. 
know. It's an interesting place to live. Deeply traumatized. Everyone is a back. Everybody has their secrets. Yeah. Everybody, every episode you learn something new that happened to someone's past that is un like, oh, you spent 15 years in jail. Oh, right. you were also a CIA agent or something. Oh, you were tortured by a secret cult. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so let's 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 just get right into it uh we we have a we were already before you guys got here because we got early access to some episodes Uh-oh. and we lost our shit Spoiler after, alert. yeah we were already texting each other as we watched episode two yeah which uh opens with and i uh the the niece wandering in with her head wound i'll say this i'm just rambling now but Banshee has some of the best cold opens and the best tags in television. It's like the tag is always something like "Wait, what?" <laughs> wait for the end because you'll miss something important if you don't. There, wait there for is the end something of the very liberating about doing a show like Banshee as a, as a storyteller from someone who spent you know the vast majority of my career in network television, where you're literally handcuffed you know all the time and you're really concerned about offending pretty much everybody on the planet. Um, with Banshee, we've decided actively to deliberately offend every single. <laughs> we're equal opportunity offenders, um, and and you mean a show where you have sympathy for neo-Nazi white supremacy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's amazing how many well, they times they have feelings too, man. Right. But people come over and tell me that that Proctor is their favorite character on the show, which is great because everybody lives in the gray. But but having a, a place that's so supportive, like Cinemax, having a creator like Jonathan Tropper, where. Story dictates, character dictates, and we can really do whatever we want to do as long as it's organic to the storytelling and not being limited by, you know, certain network standards, you know? So, yeah, so if, you know, if, if midgets it, are going to fuck on a horse, we're going to do that because that's what the characters <laughs> would do. Alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and, and it is it is like a taste you have to have. In other words, it's not a show for everybody. I was, I was watching this morning, I was watching episode two at, at the – table in my kitchen yeah. and I had a friend over and she was not pay- paying attention but Ooh, friends at the kitchen uh, table all right, take it easy did you say the friend was on the kitchen table <laughs> but there was so much screaming and yelling and yeah. whatever and she yeah. was like what the hell are you watching the, 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 the first thing Jonathan Bone snapping yeah the first thing Jonathan said to me when we sat down was um, basically we're not going to dumb the show down we write the show for the people that get it. We're writing the show for ourselves. And I think that's true for every creative force in the show, be it the writers, the producers, the actors, every artisan on the show. Basically, we made the show that we wanted to watch, that we wanted to see. And don't pander to any other, you know, special interests or, or any other sort of, you know, mandate. It's let's let's have fun with it. Let's do what we want to do. And I think that's what shows and that's what makes the show so singular. I think Adam also makes a really good point about storytelling and the, the freedom that you have at a place like Cinemax as opposed to a regular TV network. First of all, when you write for a network, uh, you have to write essentially for commercial breaks. So you're writing in a very, very structured way. You're writing for a a huge team of people who kind of who control all of the content of your show in a place like Cinemax the audience is limited to a very specific demographic people who the only people who are watching Cinemax are people who actively have to get Chose Cinemax. Cinemax they choose yeah. Cinemax <laughs> they're paying okay? for Cinemax and so yeah. we know Adam and Jonathan and all the other creators of the show know who they're writing for know what that audience wants and the the storytelling it, it it's very liberating you know you don't have to sort of tease out one story point over four episodes. Oh, we do, right. you know, yeah, we, we we do one episode. Yeah, that, it's a yeah. whole season of oh, TV. That's what I love about the show is you 
think I mean, and we're so uh, programmed from watching other shows yeah. and being and hearing other stories, even like hour long cable yeah, dramas. It's like good. okay, this is the bad guy who we're going to be learning more about all season, and then he's immediately killed. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or yeah. this is the love interest. Yeah. Her but, neck but, is. But that, was, that was episode two. We had the reveal that they they could find Job, and I was like, oh, they're going to spend a couple of episodes finding him and trying to get into this black site. No, it was like the next scene was they yes. exchanging for him. Yes. You know? No, like, but there is, there is again, a tremendous freedom that we have. And my criticism of other shows, and it's not it's not a, a function of the, the writers or the creators. It's a function sometimes of the premise. Mm. But with our show, nothing is a stall. It, it was never we're going to – we need yeah. to hold this reveal until episode six because we won't have story. We had so much story. We forced ourselves to basically say let's move it at 100 miles an hour. Let's not save anything. And we essentially tell more story in one episode than a lot of series do in an entire season. You guys yeah. have a third act cliffhanger at like minute six of some episodes yeah. where you're like, you're like, all right, so I guess oh, – and then it's like, wait, the A story is completely wrapped up. It's minute 15. It's – and I, this season especially, you guys want to talk about keeping people on their toes. It's like four months earlier, two months earlier, a month, eighteen yes. months ago. I'm like yeah. timelines all over. We, we, yeah, we made a really conscious de- attention. Yeah, we made a really conscious decision to not do a lot of linear storytelling this season. To use that device and but do it Banshee style, right. you know. And um, you know, it's something that that Greg Utanis, you know, really set a precedent for. Is that any idea we ever had? The question would be, what's the Banshee version? <laughs> because that's something that can be done on any other show across the television landscape. But how would Banshee do it? And that's always our mandate. And that's what always would push us with the storytelling to say, fuck this. We're not, you know, CBS, NBC, ABC. We are, we are our own animal. Let's, let's reinvent the wheel a little bit. And, and that's what we always strive to do. I was so excited when we went into production for the fourth season when I got the first set of scripts, which is about, I'd say about a month before we started. We got the first draft, kind of the white version of the, of the new story. And, you know, the first... 10 pages of the script, the whole world of Banshee changes. I mean, they tell a whole season in the first 10 pages. Yeah. Lucas Hood is gone for 10 yeah. years. Kai Proctor is mayor. Brock Lotus is sheriff. And and Rebecca Bowman is dead. Like, yeah. that's a whole season of TV. There's that's a serial killer out there. Oh, and there's yeah. a serial killer in Banshee. We did that in 10 minutes. I okay. know. Oh, I read it and I was like, holy shit, where are we going from here? This we, is fucking great. We man. watch it together in that whole cold, uh, the cold open of episode one where Brock yeah. walks up, yeah. knocks on the door, opens it up, and it cuts to the hood with a fucking main... Yeah. For, First of all, as you know, hippie-looking dudes having long hair and a beard, you see hood. You guys like, have the you got the hood look. Going yes, on yeah, here. we look like legit yes. wild men. I'll give a little behind the scenes. Um, not a real beard, and Ant was not too happy about wearing that beard. But uh, but it worked. It looks great. It looks Ant great. Ant was seriously grumpy for several weeks about wearing that beard, and we gave him a lot of shit about it. I have to say, and he's fun to give shit to. It's it's really but funny. He wanted to be seen. He wanted to. I I, I think just having there. fourteen pounds of fake hair glued to his right. face. It also uh, just adds a f- forty-five minutes to and from your call time and uh, rap time. Exactly. Get that exactly, and, and when he finally saw the script in which he shaves, he's like, "Okay, here we go. Now yeah. let the season be." That's one of my favorite moments is when he does <laughs> shave. He cu- cuts his own hair and shaves, which is one of my favorite movie tropes. And yeah. he comes out with uh, Five stubble. Yeah. 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 I was like, "Of course, <laughs> uh, of course, down yeah. to the same amount <laughs> as before." Hood's in a cabin, and he's like, "Well, I'm still gonna have my badass stubble." It's and he's all banshee. Yeah, Let's remember the premise of the show. It's banshee. You know, we can well, get away with a little bit of creative license. Is there anything you that's ever gotten? Sh- sh- shot down for being too insane? 
Uh, no. And here's the thing, and I tell this story all the time because people go like, well, you know, you do some crazy things. There have been situations where Jonathan and I would come up with something and literally look at each other and say, there's no way that Cinemax is going to approve this. There's no way they're going to be okay with us doing this. And literally, we would pitch it, you know, to our executives at Cinemax, who literally are some of the smartest, best executives in the business, because they allow filmmakers and storytellers to actually do their job. And a lot of people might think this is like a writer, producer, kiss and butt. No. But this is the last season of, no, of it's, Banshee, it's, so you're, it's no, not, this is not Well, kiss I'm still working for them on Outcast. But I'm just <laughs> okay. saying, caveat there. Um, but, I, but I genuinely, I genuinely mean that. Yeah. Um, and we would go in there and be like, all right, here's the idea. And there'd be this moment of silence, and they'd look at us and go, yeah, it's okay. Um, but can three more people die in the scene, and can one of them blow up? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we can do that. So literally, it was always about even pushing the envelope further. And let me be clear, not to be gratuitous. Here's the thing. Whenever I hear criticism of the show that it's a little bit too violent, there's too, I say, you know what? People have sex in real life. People kill each other in real life. You know what? Incest exists. We're not we're not saying, hey, this is a good thing, but it happens. And as long as it's grounded in some sort of real human emotion and, and real human condition stuff, that was sort of our green light to explore it. But it also doesn't feel gratuitous because it lives in the world that these characters exactly. are. Exactly. Well, that's yeah. the nature of, of pulp. I mean, it's a pulp yeah. fiction yeah. show. And, and that's, pulp is rooted in reality. It's just a sort of extreme version of and it. And that's why Banshee, Banshee, I think, transcends a lot of other things is because, yes, we have a high concept. Yes, we have... You know, people like uh, Clay Burton basically killing characters by slamming their throats into uh, Rolls Royce emblems and then tearing out their esophagus, choking um, a woman from inside her own. Yes, neck. and that and that See, happens. That just but feels normal to me. You know? <laughs> yes, <laughs> but the reason we can get away with that is because we earn it with real characters. And uh, there's not a character on this show that you can say, "Yeah, they're fucked up and they live in the gray." But you understand. You've got people that have regret. People that have that are disenfranchised. People that are self-loathing. These are real experience and real emotions. And that's why I feel like those scenes, especially in season four, where we finally started really turning the lens on Banshee inwards. If you'll see this season, and, and spoiler alert here, but this is not about villain of the week. This is not about, you know, antagonists that we can throw at, you know, Ant Star every week. This is really about the town of Banshee and the denizens in this town. And that allowed us, again, to really open these characters up and then earn the moments that are ridiculously over the top. That was one of the things that was really exciting about going into season four was that, was that, you know, at a certain point after season three, the show can't get bigger. You know, I mean, yeah. there's only so much you can do. Yeah, we gotta we're not, we gotta we're not making a, yeah. a Zack Snyder film. We don't have two hundred million dollars. Like we don't centaurs. We can't. We can't yeah, like, you know, that was space disgust. Aliens. Like we just we can't do that. And so the thing that was exciting was that we had spent three years, and particularly Jonathan and Adam and OC and Greg and Lonnie had spent three years building complex characters who yes exist in a kind of hyper real world but are are really three-dimensional in their own fucked up ways and the opportunity to make the show in a funny way sort of smaller and more gothic and more kind of about the way these people interact with each other and still keeping the banshee ethos going forward that was really exciting for those of us who were in the cast kind of reading these scripts going oh wow we're sort of turning inward and really starting to to dive into inside the people that we know and love. Uh, yeah no, none of the characters are boring at all which is what i really no, like I, i've seen a lot of shows that i think are trying to 
either get the same audience as Banshee or maybe trying to copy some of the general aesthetics of it, but it doesn't work. Yeah. And I think it, you're right. It is the characters. It, as far as Burton goes, like, <laughs> um, how did you build that guy up? I mean, how much of it was in the script versus like little flourishes that you added? Uh, it's and, like, funny. What do you think you brought to it? I've told the story before, and I, it, I, if you've heard it, I apologize. But when, my first day shooting on Banshee, on the pilot of Banshee, which was actually episode 104 was the first episode, episode we shot. Um, I got there and I was talking to Jonathan Tropper and David Schickler and to Greg and I was asking them questions and I remember at some point I was just peppering Tropper with questions and he was like, um, I was sort of like, what about this and what about this and where's he from and what does he do? And finally Tropper said to me, look, Banshee is a really scary place and Burton is the scariest guy. <laughs> and I said, oh, well I can do that. <laughs> and the truth is, um, one of the amazing things about this show, and I don't think this was exclusive to me, in fact, I know that this was true for everyone in the cast, having producers and directors like the people that we had on this show and having executives who were really encouraging of the world of the show because you're not beholden to advertisers on a show like this was an amazing opportunity. And basically, I was encouraged to do whatever felt right. And if I went to Adam or to Greg or to Tropper or to OC or to Lonnie and said, what about this? 99% of the time, the answer was, that's amazing, let's do it. Awesome. Every once in a while, somebody would say, you can't do that. And either they'd say, and here's why, or you're gonna figure out why because there's a story point that's right. coming up. And it became very clear to me, particularly in season two, that there was a sense of where the show was going, that they had an idea of what the show was going to be and what they wanted it to become and where they wanted the characters to go. And we were given such freedom to create our own version of what Tropper and David Schickler originally had in mind. And that was that's that's so rare in television or film. It's such a rare opportunity to be able to do that. And it was it's been so it's such a great it was so fucking great to be able <laughs> to work with people who yeah. trusted you as right. an actor, who trusted you enough to say, do your thing. And if we don't like it, you'll know. And very, very rarely would people say, um, do something else. Yeah. It was very rare. And, and and I'm gonna blow some smoke up up his ass, which oh, I, I like which I which I which I seldom do. I'm usually just well, you know bagging on. After the on podcast, him. I got a joint. And we yeah, butt no. holes, we can get wild. <laughs> Spoiler alert! No, but I, I will California say, and, and I and I really truly deeply believe this: that Matt has done more with a character that has less dialogue than pretty much any other character on television, and created probably the most singular, you know, enigmatic and memorable character out there I and, and I so think, i think you. he only had two lines in episode two if i'm not mistaken uh yeah one of them is don't which was yes. one of my favorite things yes. ever <laughs> yes i love that but, but, but that look, just he, goes that just goes to show and and this is a lesson to all you budding new writers out there <laughs> is that less is always more and and what and what an actor can do with with just a, a fundamental under, understanding of what the purpose of a character is in a scene and yeah. what he brings to it, without giving them a lot of dialogue, and and that is sort of a masterclass in in what's capable. And I really believe that. And I watch 
I watch Matt's work and his performance, and I'm, I'm really, I'm like, holy shit! Like, <laughs> it's you know, incredibly I, compelling. It Thank is. You. There's not that. really many characters on television that you applaud when they take their glasses yeah. off. You know, like <laughs> I, mean, I like that's like a thing as yes. a, as a fan of Angie. It's like, oh, when, whenever like you know it's quiet and if someone's doing something wrong and they turn and Burton's there, I'm like, fuck oh, yes, scalpels in the neck are yeah, coming. Right. So, I mean, first of all, thank you, Adam. That's very nice of you to say. And, and the last it. nice thing I'll ever say. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be clear on that. That is literally the last nice thing you'll ever say about First it. and last, the, one here of the things on that's been High and Mighty. so great is that coming to Banshee, you know, I'm, I was a th- I'm a theater actor, and that's I come from a world that is all about language, and to have an opportunity to approach a character who basically never spoke, who was always there and always present, but didn't have things to say it was such it was such a challenge and such a great opportunity to create a person who was three-dimensional without speaking but he, he convey i mean you convey so much just in just head movements and the deliberateness of i his I mean, focus and attention on various I, i've things. spent some time sort of going back because i like to think about process and uh it's important for me to. I'm always trying to learn about myself and about my craft as an actor. Actor, actor is boring. And That's there's okay. a whole I other mean, we're conversation. We're actors too, but we're on like kind there's of a whole other conversation series. to have about. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to worry about our craft yeah. as much as yeah, well, like. That's fine. He has 40 alts for right. your shitty line. I did a little <laughs> acting this season, so uh, so we'll see. I may I may show up uh, somewhere along the line. What is we go forward? Mr. Targum makes a. What we like to call the. Cameo. Yes. I hope he's in a fat suit riding in a uh, long haul truck. He's driving. not. He's not. But he has a fantastic fucking goatee. Yes. Oh, yes. Awesome. OC Madsen basically looked at him because he was born out of not being able to cast the role in Pittsburgh and said, "You do it." And I was like, "Oh man, here we go." That's a pretty good OC imitation. Nah, that's all right. I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him. Guy. I'm going to see him later. So I have to. You I think know, we'll see keep him it. tonight. Keep it. <laughs> you know, I just want to bring something. Else. You know, you guys talk about language and and. I will say, and and now I am going to blow a little bit more smoke because I truly believe this as well. Jonathan Tropper has one of the most unique voices out there. And for those of you that are fans of his novels, you read the novels and then you look at Banshee and you say there is no way that this is coming from the same man. Or you see uh, his movie that he wrote and directed. Yeah, based on, based, on, based on one of his novels. Yeah. Um, very different. A very different exploration of... of people and and have the interaction about people but i will say that when you write for and with somebody like jonathan there is he hears such a specific language and cadence in his voice that it's, it's a moving target and it's a small target but again what makes the show so unique is that it is his voice through and through from the beginning to the end it is it is his vision that we're all servicing and to have you know i joke i call him i call him elron but you know the idea is that <laughs> is that it truly is you know it's it's a different experience when you when you're always kept on point by by one person's consistent vision for it, right? And you don't mind a note where he says, "Oh, that doesn't work," because you're like, "I know now I see it because I know what you're going." Yeah, that's the thing. We're aiming for right. his. And, and I always say, and my job over the last couple of years has been to get it as close to Tropperville as possible, yeah. and knowing that okay, here is here is my best shot at it. You know, am I close? Tropper so- this up a little bit. For yeah, me. pretty much. And sometimes I am, and and it's and it's been such a pleasure to basically watch him. Make a little tweak here, make a little tweak here, change a word here and there, and go. Oh, now it's Banshee. Yeah. Um, and, and, that's, and that's, that's the great thing about working for someplace like Cinemax, where it's like, let's let this guy yes. do his thing, as opposed to a network where they would say, how can we make this 
appeal to as many people as possible. Yeah, they're yes. actually, I mean, look, I've worked on network television. I like working on network television. And there's a lot of good writers and a lot of good actors and a lot of good artisans but working But they're just dealing TV. with a different market. Yes. The problem point. with network TV is that they, they're they trying to make choices more generic because right. they're trying to appeal to 20, 30, 40 million people at a time. Right. And, and, you know, Cinemax or HBO or Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or any of these other sort of new kinds of providers are not beholden to that kind of uh, demographic. Right. Yeah, neat, not, niche programming not, is okay. It's not just network TV, too. It's uh, going to the movies. Yes. I mean, it's really well, yeah, the hard. movie business. In a funny way, the movie business is a, in a is a better analogy. I mean, yeah. they don't make twenty, thirty million dollar movies anymore. They just don't make them anymore. They don't make R rated movies anymore. They don't make they, every movie costs a hundred million dollars, and that's million. and that's what we and you, you have to appeal yeah. to everyone when you Thank make God a movie. Thank God for comic books. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's sort what, of. That's what we're saying. We're that's what we were saying with Banshee in our episode when we talk about that got this whole thing started. That now we're interviewing cast members, oh my and God, producers, yeah. and stuff. We were saying it fills. That hole and scratches that itch that like the '90s action movie, early 2000s, late '80s. Yeah. Those movies that were like R-rated oh, movies that had a sex scene. That when you were a kid and you saw some tits and you saw a dude get his neck broken, yeah. and it was like the the main actor was charming and good looking. You were like, I'm in. There was a beautiful woman. Like yep. all that shit you just loved. It's right. like that worked for right. years. But, well, know, that's the thing, thing. But Adam makes a really good point because this that that springs from Tropper. Tropper is the ultimate fanboy. He yep. Remembers everything. He loves movies. He loves TV. He loves culture. He absorbs things like a sponge. And I think the thing that makes Banshee so different, so unique, is that it does all of those things that you're talking about. It scratches all of those itch. Tits, violence, you know, crazy, gory, fucked up, pulpy shit. But it's but like it's the also, intellectual version of it. Yes, yeah. it's also right. fully realized right. three-dimensional characters. Even characters who show up for one or two episodes are really specifically drawn. And they they spring out of this fountain of Tropper's imagination. The Monsters of the Week guys, those, those villains of the Week guys, are some of the most fun characters... Yeah. Like the uh, the the fat I mentioned before, but the big fat guy who lives yeah. in the rain, like that Shooter is Hensley. like that is just an insane like every decision that's made there is just so exciting. And then the reveal that they're on a moving truck yep. is like one of and that I, I we we talked about that like the day after. Yeah. I was like, did you watch last night? And we were like. Fucking a! And dude. then of course, there's in also, Banshee, in by ba- the way, a, a pretty good fight sequence in that. Episode. It's all right. Just yeah, it's all right. Um, and well, then we're a- gonna we're gonna get to our favorite Burton. No, fight and then sequence. of course we yeah, had that's to. That's the other we- thing about Banshee. I'm sorry to cut you off. That's the other thing about Banshee. Those two things happened in the same episode. Right. Yeah. Normally, an episode right. would be like, "Hey, this is our Nola Burton yeah. episode. This is our Chayton episode. This is our blank episode." Right. In episodes where the the main character fights the main bad guy, there's also three other dope yeah. action sequences. I mean, yeah. when you have the them uh, fighting those Hicks at the meth. Lab you have the meth lab fight. You have the uh, you have crews. Of Nina course, Cruz. Yeah. of course, any character that appears on Banshee knows an insane amount of martial arts. Yeah, that just, surprises the leg lock. Doesn't doesn't everybody? <laughs> That's what we. Okay, wait, you guys don't know jujitsu. Oh, and Carrie's doing the vigilante stuff. This yeah. is all in one. Episode. Right, she's turning into a superhero. One episode. That's twenty yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's <laughs> um, just just wait because because it, it, things get more intense. Oh, you know, and that and that was the responsibility of knowing that this was the final season, and we and we. That decision was made relatively early. You know, Jonathan, you know, has talked about it, um, wrote a great piece in Grantland explaining it. It really was a creative decision. It wasn't a typical sort of network financial decision or rating sliding. None of that applied. It really came down to 
us deciding we told all of the story that we wanted to tell. And any deviation and any sort of variation on that didn't feel like Banshee anymore. And I'll tell you, we explored it. You know, um, Brock Lotus and, and, and Lucas Hood, you know, moving to, uh, you know, Jamaica and opening a bar on the beach sounded like a great idea because <laughs> we all wanted to shoot in Jamaica. But it didn't feel like Banshee anymore. You wanted to downshift from Pittsburgh Calvin to Jamaica? Bunker and Clay Burton on a road trip. It's, oh. it's possible. We discussed, we discussed that too, but then we decided we, we were over Matt Roush. But, um, yeah. but couldn't no, wait to get rid of me. But, but, but I was... I was just wanted to touch on something you said before about I hear constantly people say, oh, that's cliche or that's a TV trope. I don't think those are bad things. Cliches no. are cliches because they work. Tropes are tropes because they are familiar and they work. No, we love that shit. That's what I'm saying. Like, I love. Yes. We literally were watching the first episode of Banshee this season going, I can't wait till the sequence when Hood shaves his beard and cuts his hair. It's like, uh, of course. Yeah. And we and we embrace that. And that's the thing is that if you lean into it and you don't take yourself too seriously and you say, okay, these things happen and it's okay to move these things forward. People you know, and that was the beards? fun. But but here was the thing. <laughs> we, we, we were built. We were redesigned. And when we shifted from Charlotte to Pittsburgh, we essentially had to start over. And it was like doing a pilot. So it was redesigning all new sets. And it was basically all the infrastructure had to be set. And I remember even a conversation when when OC and I were brought the plans for the new uh, Banshee Sheriff's Department. And we were looking at Brock's office. And it was always the idea of creating this sort of lofty looking down on his empire. He'd finally gotten it. And I said, well, where's his bathroom? And someone said to me, why do we need a bathroom? Um, because Brock needs to take a shit every now and then. And those are the type of things that we sort of embrace. And we use it. And, and you know what? It was hard fought for me to find a scene to stick him in the bathroom. And, and no, and Servito came to me and he goes, I'm glad I'm using the bathroom. And those are the type of things that, you know. Spoiler we, alert. But we, exactly. But we, but we enjoy. There is a bathroom. But we enjoy looking at television as sort of the medium and, and both poking a little fun at it, but also embracing it for our own purposes. And, and I like to say that to touch on another point that this is the most mature season of Banshee. The show has grown up and I will assure all of the fans out there that we have just as much sex, even more than season three. And we have just as much violence, even more than season three. (laughs) But what we've also done is I think we've made a much more sophisticated, well thought out character drama and that you, you feel so much closer to these characters. You understand these characters. I personally, and I know Jonathan and the entire team are fans of origin stories. You know, monsters are not born. They are created. And the question is whether you look at Lucas Hood as a monster and he's much more monstrous this season than he has been in the past or it's Proctor or it's Burton or any of these characters. They didn't just wake up one day that way. And and this season was really about opening up those stories and – giving the audience an opportunity to at least understand why they do the depraved shit that they do and why they have the particular perspectives on life that they do. And the show feels, I mean, to me, it feels very, very different. There's it a, there's looks a, even a little more cinematic. Yes, more yes. Cinematic. And a lot of that, a lot it's of that. Slightly paced, it's paced slightly slower on purpose. Yes. But it's also, it's it's still, A linear storytelling. It's a linear, yeah. It's, yeah, the, the, the story jumps around in time. It's it's it, the look is slightly different. It's a little grayer. It's a little more yes. bleak. Um, uh, the characters are a little deeper. The pace is just slightly slower. The episodes are a little bit longer than they were last year. But it's also as packed full yeah. as it has been in the first three even seasons. more so. so. There's a really interesting. Uh, yeah. 
It's a very interesting shift. I will I tell you that we are building to, there's an eight-page dialogue scene between two characters coming later in the season. Oh, it's which, and all you TV writers out there, that's fucking unheard of. <laughs> there's no such thing as a three-page scene, right? And certainly on Banshee, where usually every scene is, you know, is half of a page because right. of the pace of the show. Right. Um, and the cutting style and this frenetic we, energy. Uh, we yeah. say that the jump cuts yes. make exposition, Banshee does exposition yeah. better than most shows on top, where it's like, all right, we gotta tell this story. It's like, well, why don't we just have- Get on with it. Fuck it. Get like to the it. next, but right. But <laughs> One of, that's that's a result of having fantastic directors on the show and having a fantastic editing team on the show. The editors on the show are absolutely superb. There's a whole team of people. Yeah, really and that's why we write 70-page scripts and literally end up with 43-minute shows. <laughs> that's just the way we burn through story. But what's what's gratifying about the season is that we've earned the right to do some of those more extended scenes and more of the talking head scenes, and, and it's allowed us to do that. Um and, and again, it's a very it's a very different season, um, but it still very much has the heart and soul of Banshee, and uh, I think we're also proud of it. I, I just want to say one thing that was the most gratifying moment for me this season was when we were wrapping in August in Pittsburgh. Um, we decided to screen the first episode for the actors. Oh, awesome. and and again, this is not something that is typically done. You know, they shoot that. scenes and yeah. they don't get to see the cuts. You know, as producers, we see every cut and we watch it eight billion times. We're we watching daily occasionally, right? See stuff like they that don't see much. Clark. So we said, you know, this is it. This is the last hurrah. We want to show you the fruits of your labor. They showed us and, the rough cut. And yeah, it was really and we showed them the first episode. And to an actor, they came over and basically said. This is the Banshee that we've always wanted to do. And that was the most gratifying thing. for To have people that have been so invested in this world and these characters in the process, leaving their families for six, seven, eight months at a time to go shoot a location show, to basically say, is that's it. That is all of our sort of creative dreams come to fruition. That was that, the night of the rap party, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah and then everyone got drunk. Um, <laughs> this, this was the sober cast. Um, but that was extremely gratifying. And I think that's when... We, as the creative producing team, all looked at each other and said, we did our jobs. And yeah. the audience we is going to embrace yeah. it. I remember that night we all went to Adam's. We, we had this rap party. It was about ten. It was about two weeks before we actually wrapped the show. We had yeah. a big party. Uh, and we went. the cast went to Adam's apartment. Uh, our producers were there and the, uh, the whole cast was there. And they screamed. Past and present. There were, there were, there were cast members present. that had right. been killed off in uh, seasons before. <laughs> Russ Blackwell was there. Trias Dunn was there. It was really a nice evening. Oh, we, that's cool. We were drinking and watching the How rough cut. And I remember looking Dunn. around. I want to talk about that. <laughs> I remember looking around the room at some point and everybody was just glued to the TV. You know, open mouth, really into the show. And it was... It was it was pretty exciting. I think we all realized that it was a it was it was the kind of distilled sort of vision of Banshee that I think Tropper had from the beginning. Oh, it, was, awesome. it was really a lot of fun. Since you brought up Trieste and Siobhan, I would just like to yeah. just talk about something. Um, something that's been gnawing at me. Um, and this is this is just as a precursor to the fact that maybe some of our beloved series regular may or may not die in the final season of Banshee. Uh, um, it's the it's the season. That's what we knew right away. The final yeah. season's like, you guys don't pull punches already. Yeah. So, <laughs> so see, and, and again, and, 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 I, yeah. and I will say right now, we defy expectations. So everything you believe is not necessarily going to happen and we're going to really fuck with you but i just want to as the writer of record um on an episode from 305 called tribal um in which our beloved um siobhan may have her neck snapped in front of lucas hood i just want to say um, nothing to do with now now again i did write that episode but it was a full team of uh, people and and we had decided this long ago um it was necessary to move the character forward to have a character that 
All he really wanted was comfort and peace and happiness in his life, and we couldn't give him that. We had to deprive him of that. Um, I got death threats for that. Really? Um, I had people Jeez. literally uh, on Twitter saying it should have been you who had your neck snapped. Jesus. Um, so after I got off the <laughs> phone, business. after I got off the phone with HBO security and uh, checked checked that I had ammunition for all my guns at home, um, it then occurred to me that this was the greatest fucking compliment on the yeah. face of the earth. The fact that we as a team, writers, producers, actors, had created a character that was so nuanced, that was so dimensional, that felt so real, that people literally felt as if we had killed off their best friend. And she's not even an episode one character. Like, she's not even from the beginning. Exactly. That's how, like, people got attached so, to her that So quickly. I will say, please, no death threats this season. Um, you know people are going to die. Fucking deal with it. Um, people are either going to die or yes. you're not going to see them again after the last yes. episode. So I will either say, way, don't get yes, mad. Trieste is fine. I spoke to her this morning. I have to um, say, I live in New York. Trieste lives in yes, New York. Yes, she's fine. The she's alive and well she's alive and well um, she's i promise you but we did not kill but, but again you are allowed to feel the loss and the emotion because i will tell you we feel it too and you know matt talked about the two weeks leading up to the end of the show it was very it, intense it, it was, was very intense so emotionally and again for those of you that don't know when you basically finish an actor when an actor shoots their last scene That's that they're that. ever going to shoot you basically clap them out and you give a little speech when you're doing a series finale and this is it. And you're basically wrapping out characters that have been, you know, these actors have been playing these characters for four years. That you you've been each one for yeah. half a year. Yeah. For, yeah. yeah. You give each one, you know, their, their due. And, and basically, you know, we would stand up there and give these speeches and clap out these actors. And it was a week straight of tears and emotion. Yeah. And it was the it was most emo- – while we were still making a fucking TV show. <laughs> and the finale, which, uh, again, spoiler alert, is pretty fucking badass <laughs> and intense in its the own right. It was – but it's, it's, it's called Brock Takes a Shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, Dude, it's, come it's, on. It's a bottle episode. Come on. It's called – it's called – it's called – it's, <laughs> it's called Brock Takes a Shit and Clay Burton Wipes His Ass. That's what it's called. <laughs> Wait a minute. But – no, but, but it, it, it was so amazingly – but it's, again, and a testament to this particular cast and crew and this show. And I have done now eight television shows. I have never worked with a group of people that one were such consummate professionals, so committed to the cause, but that honestly felt like a family. And every single one of the actors that I speak to and, and you know, everybody else involved in the show, above and below the line, in the six, seven months which we've had, every time I've spoken or, or, or seen them, everybody sort of expresses the same feeling of loss and pathos that it's never going to be Banshee again. And that's, uh, and that's sad. It's bittersweet. You know, um, it's, it's uh, just that those last two weeks, shooting that last, the finale, which is really a two-episode finale, was really, really intense. And one of the things that was interesting about it is that, you know, we are all professionals. We all work in a business. It's a very itinerant business. You're basically a gypsy. You know, you work on one job, then you go to another job, and then you're unemployed for a while, and then you know you hustle and you find some more work. Yeah, I'm very familiar with that unemployment. With the unemployment, <laughs> I host a podcast. <laughs> I have the time to do this. But, but this this show, you know, we worked together basically for four years. Um, this show was pretty unusual in that basically everybody liked each other a lot. We were really kind of a family. There's always going to be some people who don't quite get along, but or there some, was some too big, for, some diva or a high level, was, high all, status actor. That, there was Matt Roush. That. 
Yeah, yeah, right. Matt Roush, I'm the diva on the show. Right. The guy well, never I talks think, and he's a fucking diva. I think that's part of like a lot the, all the cast members are all great actors, but they're not like people that you you know you've seen in hundreds yeah. of like yeah. big roles that might come in with I an think ego or think they're above choice. the show. They made a conscious choice to do that. But what I was gonna say is that the, the there were there was no there are no two people on the show who like fucking hated each other. There was none of that vibe on the show. And uh, the cast really got along. We were very bonded and very fond of each other. And it was it was difficult to actually wrap the show. And I remember the night that we actually wrapped, the shooting day, that the, the final day, it, we were shooting a bunch of kind of, it was not like we, just the way the schedule worked, we were not shooting like big epic finale scenes on the final day of shooting. It was just, it was three or four sequences. Uh, I shot a normal scene with Ulrich and Ant shot some kind of, uh, outdoor situation and Ivana had a scene to shoot but after the wrap we all kind of hung out in the studio I think we were there until like 6 in the morning just sort of hanging out and drinking and being with the cast and the crew and it was really nobody really wanted to say goodbye right because I mean, that's the last I, I think also as an actor when you've done a bunch of different things yeah. and I've done many things where I had one line yeah. at the end of a scene yeah. um, but you recognize when you're doing something that's not like anything else you've ever done and yeah. may not be something that you ever Matt Servito hit again. actually said to me uh, at some point towards the rap he said we're never going to have it as good as we had it on Banshee ever again in our yeah. life and he's on the Sopranos. to be said for that. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, I feel like if if every job I ever do for the rest of my life is as good or approaches being as good as Banshee as yeah. lucky and as open and as creatively challenging and as um, collaborative as Banshee, I'll be a very, very lucky guy. Yeah. Look, you can't account for the alchemy. You know, we all right. try every project we do. We we're always trying to, you know, be the next success and 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 you know, take everything we've learned in the past and apply it and hope that you know we have the same magic. It doesn't have. So you can't account for sometimes just the right pieces come together. And Banshee, literally, I believe, is its own and will stand as a testament to just a great time in everybody's lives. We had a great time. You know, and it, then Adam Targum showed up and he ruined it. All. <laughs> yeah. That that is that is likely true. That is likely true. No one true. on this cast hated each other. I mean, present well, company yeah, excluded. Yeah. Yeah. Look, this may this may or may not come as a surprise, um, but most actors have a little bit of an ego, um, you know. And uh, never seen it. I, I will say that from top to bottom on this right show, I don't know what he's going to say. Um, there was not an actor on this show ever that was driven by ego or vanity. It was always, and I mean it, always about what is best for the show, what is best for the scene, what is best for the character, not how do I look or how am I going to be perceived. And as, you know, as a writer first and foremost, you know, to put words on a page and then go to set and watch as, as you know, masters of their craft would elevate these words and literally I become a fan instantly you know and whether I was you know just wrote the scene or you know and I got very fortunately to be able to direct this season as well whether I was doing whatever hat I was wearing I would find myself sort of sitting back and just watching it as a fan of the show and going this is a great fucking performance this is so much better than what I put on the page and when I was sitting you know in my in my you know in my office without pants on writing this scene I never imagined that it could even get to the, and, we, that, and we really I like how you wanna, throw in the extra detail yeah. I was going like, to say I don't want to know picture. about you yeah. with no pants that's a writer this, like this, is, like this the is the behind the scenes kind of show I'm giving you guys I'm giving you guys spoilers we've wrapped the whole insurance we're done at this point they can't 
can't do anything to him. The funny thing about when Adam showed up for uh, to work on, he started on season three, and the the coolest thing about that was that the first thing he said basically to all of us, I remember the first time I met him, the first thing he said to me was, I'm a fan of the show, I'm a fan of Burton, I'm writing it from a perspective of a fan. And the enthusiasm that he brought, that was sort of... That was kind of a universal enthusiasm on the show. Uh, yeah, right? Adam, had you ever worked with Trapper before? What was that meeting like when you I actually first don't know how you guys met. It's it's actually sort of a, a an interesting sort of story. It was sort of a, a two prong approach. Um, I had a relationship with Cinemax and HBO, um, and we were looking to do something together. Um, simultaneously, uh, Jonathan and I have a mutual friend that for years had been saying to Jonathan, you need to meet my buddy Adam, and saying to me, you need to meet my friend Jonathan. And it just sort of never sort of came together. Um, I had watched the show. Um, it's interesting. If you're a, a working TV writer in in Hollywood, um, there's always basically aspirational shows that whatever you're working on is shit and you want to be on something right. else. And, of course, the holy grail for all of us is The Wire, yeah. which is why Frankie Faison, again, is my god. <laughs> um, and then – but it was interesting because I, I believe I was doing CSI New York at the time and our showrunner at the time came in and said – did you guys see that fucking Banshee like premiere? That was awesome. And at that point, we were all sort of hooked and say, wow, I wish I could write an episode of Banshee. Um, so one day Cinemax calls me and they go, hey, you know Banshee? And I was like, hell yeah. They're like, you know, you want to talk to Jonathan Tropper? Um, and we sort of got on the phone. Uh, and it was just sort of a funny thing where a few weeks later, he said to that mutual friend, you know this guy, Adam? He's like, yeah, you know, asshole, that's the guy. Yeah. So it just sort of came together. And we sat down. And Jonathan and I are, are very different in a lot of different ways. You know, I'm covered in tattoos. He is not. Um, that's just basically, you know, so we're just we're – just but at the same time, our creative sort of energies are so complementary and symbiotic. And I am so – grateful for the opportunity that he gave me because in a lot of ways there were many times where he basically handed me his baby and he said what do you want to do with this and and he's been so wonderfully gracious um i i he's become a very close friend and also collaborator on other things which is wonderful um but i honestly i learn from him every single time we sit down and and that's a gift it's just it's a gift in this in this town look very dis- different different disciplines you know jonathan he's relatively new to tv right? he's a novelist yeah, yeah. a very successful novelist and a master storyteller in his own right but you know i was the guy that basically had you know 15 years of television writing producing experience but the dichotomy it's an interesting dichotomy between like csi and band absolutely and but totally but again different. i will contend that good storytelling is good storytelling yeah. and that for me at least the procedural training ground of being able to break story and move plot and have that connective tissue is so important as a skill set when you do a show like Banshee. They both have they both have guys who like to take their glasses off. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I did New York, not Miami. I want to be very clear on that. That's um, right? CSI? Yes, that was, that was Gary. Yeah. Um, no, and, and again, I, again, working, I, I learned a lot from Gary too. Just another tremendous actor. Yeah. Wow, um, name dropping Gary. <laughs> He's Lieutenant Dan Adam. <laughs> I, I've seen the band play. Um, oh, that is a good friend. Then. No, no, but, but, but that wow. is, but that is, that is again, just a testament to Jonathan's sort of generosity and creativity but also the collaborative nature of Banshee. Look, we all know, we're all artists, we work in this medium. It is a collaborative bit. It has to be. Because basically, like I said, you sit in your sit in your office, whether you have pants on or not, and basically put words on a page, and then a week later, you're basically handing it over to 200 people yeah, to you translate it. You don't make a movie by yourself. You don't right. make a TV show yeah. by and, yourself. And I have, 200 people make the movie. And of all of the stuff the that I've done, feature tell, whatever it is, 
I have never worked with a group of people that were so collaborative, that were so open. We have the best of the best. And I'm constantly... You know what? I want to bring up how good is the stunt department. I mean, the fighting on this show yep. is maybe the best on TV. What was that like for you? Yeah, that, I think that, we talk that fight. I mean, I work in animation and... Either I want to get a tone for a scene or, or or I'm just bored in the room or whatever, and I'll say, throw up this clip, throw up that clip, to the point where on the last show I worked on, they were like, do you work for Banshee or something? <laughs> and I've showed that fight the, the scene Bert, We're talking about the Burton Nola fight, of course. Yeah. Well, it all starts with good writing, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every single kick and punch is, is scripted. I just want, I want before Matt says whatever Matt's about I mean, to that say. Is, that is literally one of the greatest I was fights actually going to say that I choreographed and shot the entire thing. <laughs> you had a GoPro on your head. I had a GoPro <laughs> in my hand. I shot the whole thing. Uh, yeah, let's talk, because I want, let's get a little, to a little bit about 102, but specifically, let's get into some Burton fights, because... Yeah, the, yeah, let's talk about that. So, what's do you have any? Comp- it's hard to know. It's hard to know really where to start. I mean, it does start with writing, and it it there are you know the 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 Burton Nola sequence that was basically two months in the making. Um, it starts with an idea that we're going to have these two characters that you know sort of slightly secondary characters in the show who everybody knows are very frightening people. We're going to bring them together in a fight to the death. That's a writing issue, right? And so Adam. And Jonathan come up with an idea on how these people are going to come together. I think the first, the original idea was in the bottom of an empty swimming pool. Yes. And then we couldn't shoot it. There were technical reasons that we couldn't shoot in the swimming pool. Oh, yes. Yeah. That that house, which we shot in, which was a giant McMansion uh, somewhere on the outskirts of Charlotte. Yeah. Um, a, a very expensive house. And the whole idea was, uh, and I think the previous episode was the episode where they come the red bones come to kidnap rebecca yes the idea was that when burton is cleaning the pool he empties the pool right. to clean the pool and, is and there's the blood the and pool. finds the ear and, and then and nola would find him in the bottom of the right. pool and they'd fight to the death in the bottom of the right pool. so we did wrote, eventually get the pool yeah, fight the pool when fight uh, when uh, yeah. uh, uh ivana Carrie went over carrie went yeah. over there and yes. got it yes, beat yes. Up but the a yeah. less elaborate I mean, yes that's also With an elaborate thing problems. right but but funny story and, and i i digress for a moment slash interrupt you as I usually do. Um, Adam uh, really doesn't like to talk very much. No, I'm going to listen to this podcast over and over and over. You're going to get while sitting a lot on of the toilet. Tweeting at you while sitting the, on the toilet with his. Pants the only off. person that's ever been on my podcast and talked more than me. Well, that's, it's, it's what I do. Hey, you guys invited me. We, yeah, we have you. No, the best no, thing I, about him is he doesn't even drink coffee. You should see him when he has caffeine. It's I kind don't, of extraordinary. I don't. Um, real fast, and then I will. I will let Matt. <laughs> but but again, just just to talk about sort of the creation creative process is that we had written this elaborate scene in the pool. We were starting to prep for it. And then we yeah. found out we got the engineer's call and saying that, you know, we ran the risk of, of incurring a $250,000 problem if the pool imploded because of pressure and whatever bullshit it was. Um, so it was like, what do we do with this fight? What do we do with it? Um, and for those of you who have already seen episode one and two, um, the cars on Banshee have changed dramatically because I'm a giant car guy. I'm not going to lie about that. Everybody knows that about me. Um, that was the first thing I did. I said, we're changing all the fucking cars. Um, it's more important to me than anything else. Yeah, I know. Um, if we, see, we get to see Sugar's car. <laughs> That's yeah, right. yeah. No, but for me, it's born out of, again, what a person wears, what a person eats, what they drive goes to character as much as anything else. Yeah. But the idea was, hey – we should uh, probably get rid of Proctor's car. You know, this man of all this power, why is he driving around in, you know, in a 1986 fucking Rolls Royce that you can buy for $8,000? <laughs> so that's where the idea of let's destroy this fucking car came from. And, um, and then Matt got involved. 
Well, I mean, I didn't get involved. They came to me with this idea that said, we're going to do this. You and Odette are going to have this giant fight. We're going to train you. We're going to, you're going to learn the choreography. We're going to shoot it. It was originally, we were going to shoot it over two days because it was so complicated. And basically, I saw a version, a scripted version that Adam and I think Jonathan had written together, basically. Uh, it went to the stunt department. Uh, Marcus Young and his team basically put together uh, a pre-visualization of the entire fight. Uh, they shot it in a kind of animated version of how the fight would look, how the camera moves would work. Wow. So the idea was that, so from the beginning, it was the idea was that it was going to be basically a, a sort of quote-unquote one-shot fight. Yeah. Right, it looks you like know, it's one shot. continuous shot. You know, inspired by the Raid movies. And if anyone yeah. has seen inspired those, and that was, of course we've seen the Raid. We're right. fancy, that's like right. our wheelhouse. I know, and, and that really, visually that inspired us. And so yeah. the, the, the difficult part of that was going sort of inside the car and then outside the car and then over the car and then around the car and then to the front of the car. And basically they taught us the fight. They they. Odette trained for it in Los Angeles for a couple of weeks. I was training in Charlotte for a couple of weeks. They brought us together. I think for a week and a half, we trained together and learned it together. We had a full rehearsal, camera rehearsal day. It ended up being one day. Uh, we shot it for 14 hours in a single day. Oof, uh, Jesus. And, you know, actually, you may remember this. On the third take, which is right, we shot basically the whole thing in sequence. So we shot the beginning of the fight and then the second part of the fight. And because, because of the blood continuity, essentially. Right, right. On the third take, Odette punched me in the face. She actually punched me in the face. We just got a little bit off and she hit me right in the face. And I remember she punched me and she went, oh, shit. Oh, my God. Right. Did that hurt? And I said, yeah, that fucking hurt a lot. Right. Yeah. You punched me in the face. You know, I'm Matt Rouch, not Burton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I said I wouldn't say anything nice about him again, but I lied about that. Um, Matt won't tell the story because he's he's very humble. But on the previous episode, Matt actually got injured while doing a stunt. That's true. Um, and was actually, you know, well, still injured. Well, I wasn't injured doing a stunt. We were shooting it night and I, I I twisted my I tore a bunch of ligaments in my ankle really badly Oof. I just didn't see and then had to do the fight I, the I was I was spinning it to make you look better but um <laughs> that's what I do well, but and, um, and, and star and Matt Savito will give me shit for lying about how <laughs> he, he, he may have tripped on his lunch but either way no but the bottom line is, is that just, that entire really seat that entire sequence that that Matt and and Nola did all the heavy lifting and that's another thing to keep in mind why our stunt sequences are better than anybody else's is because 95% of it is actor action. Those are our actors doing it, not doubles. Yeah, there are some double moments in there because of insurance reasons and because we need Matt for the whole season. Also, to be fair, there's shit that I can't do. Like that spinning kick into the windshield, I can't do that. I'm not a trained martial artist. That's what I wanted to ask you about. So So do you have have any... I have a stunt double. My stunt double's name is is Dave McCumber. He is one of the great athletes of the world. He's got seven black belts. He's worked on a dozen, dozen movies. And And a coordinator in his own right as well he is a stunt coordinator in his own right and he basically took me under his wing and taught me how to fight and i spent months working with david last year and this year and essentially i have his number in my phone and anytime someone says to me if you do need to do have a stunt double i will say call this person because their job is not just to keep us safe but to make us look good and so it, it was it was an amazing thing for Odette and I to and her stunt double's name is Bonnie Anagasawa and she's absolutely fantastic and we essentially when we learned the fight I would fight with Bonnie and Odette would fight with Dave and so we were learning I was learning it with a professional fighter and then it took them several days to actually put Odette and I together because you have to learn it properly separately and then they put you together the 
going to the ankle thing, there is one shot in the in the fight where you can actually see the ankle brace uh, on on me when I sort of kick her into the car. Oh, great! You, That's a great kick. You can yeah. if you pause it just for a sec, you can see the suit. Has comes up the one that the one that you hit her her in the chest that throws her into the 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 sub the the subtext there is that Matt has watched the scene four hundred (laughs) eighty times and pauses it constantly to admire his work. I just I just want to point that out. Like Adam, I watch Banshee with my pants off. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. It's easy for that stuff to look bad yeah. and come across as cheesy. I mean, you talk about the action movies from the 80s and 90s. What yeah. that shit looks garbage. was the worst thing about a lot of those movies was the fight scene. So the fact that your show does it in such an amazing way that adds came, to the production value so one. much. That yeah. started actually from day one of production. I think uh, the original thing came from Greg. It, yes. Greg, Greg, Greg basically said, Greg Utanis, who was our executive producer, said, I want to feel like these people are actually fighting. And that was the ethos of the show from the beginning. That We had trainers on staff. We had a stunt team that was available to us uh, five days a week. We were constantly in the gym. We were constantly in the training room. They taught us. I learned how to box. I learned how to That's do That's what I want to ask. Did you, like, did you have any martial arts training going into this? No. I had done stage fighting, which is so different from TV fighting. Because on stage fighting, you're actually really missing by a lot. And it's all very choreographed. Right, because you have the very, distance. Of yeah, the it's audience. all about, it's a dance, essentially. Yeah. On TV, very often you're actually making contact. You're hitting people and you're being hit. and it, 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 It's a very, very different thing. And I had never really done anything like that. And it took a while to get used to it. There's actually a sequence in 401. There's an action sequence where I sort of break up the drug deal, right? Yes, and there's yeah. a big guy who I kind of put onto the ground. You put the knife to his neck. You flip him yeah. over. Yeah. Before that, the first guy who comes at me, this guy is huge, right? And... The only way for me to do the sequence was to actually make contact with him. And while we were shooting, he was like, bro, you got to hit me harder, bro. So yeah. I, you're actually... Those guys are fucking crazy. They're fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. But they're crazy in the most awesome way. Yes. And yes. on Banshee, what else do you want other yeah. than these awesome stunt guys showing up and saying, fucking hit yeah. me, dude. It was yeah. amazing. We literally so had the best fun. of the best. I just want to say I learned everything I know about fight sequences from They Live and the Keith David, Roddy oh, Roddy. Oh, Roddy no, of course, yeah. I'm and, and, chew bubble gum and Yes, and every single fight on Banshee basically is born out of that in some way, shape, or form. And that's, what, that's the other thing about Banshee and we'll, we'll get into I want to talk about more Burton fights too is that the length of fights is so awesome well that so, yeah. the thing about the Burton Nola fight that made it both challenging and amazing was the length of the fight it just goes on and on and on it's like and six and a half minutes it's, six, it's, it's six also minutes. clean yeah. you can yeah. track it you can see all the moves take place which I think is a huge problem and it's, yeah. a, it's really I think action movies do that that Van Damme editing where the kick hits you three the yes. same kick hits three times yeah yes. we don't do any yeah, yeah. you don't do it you know, so and cool. a shout out to sort of Family Guy the second best show on television um, <laughs> uh, we're giant fans of theirs turns out they're giant fans of ours as well they do those but, 25 minutes right fights. but the methodology of you know hit a joke and then and then keep going with it until it's not funny and then it gets funny again <laughs> same sort of methodology with us is like the fight's awesome and then it's like okay more and then it's awesome again yeah. um, and, and Banshee does it so well and, and like I was saying before is that you actually see in every shot that it's the actor doing it and that it's Ant Star getting thrown against the wall and, and I will tell you there is not an actor on the show um, at least who was involved in stunts that did not walk away from those sequences with 
bruises, cuts, sprained. I mean, literally, we would have to account for the fact that after we shot a sequence like that, there was going to be two or three days. I was not able... After we yeah. shot the Burton Nola fight, I was not capable, basically, of getting out of bed yeah. for two days. Yeah. So when we say blood, sweat, and tears, literally, everyone bled I, for their scenes. We went out... The, because we had wrapped out Odette on the show, we killed her off the show, and we all went out. We were out very late, and I remember I went to sleep, and I woke up at some, like, two in the afternoon. 14 hours. You day yeah. followed by some uh, Hungover and <laughs> yeah. exhausted. And I remember I went into the bathroom to take a shower and I took my shirt off and I had a gigantic bruise on my back and oh. I had no idea that it was even there it was from the tomahawk <laughs> yeah that, great Actually, opening that to from, that that was from Adam's punishment afterwards <laughs> uh, that I, great opening fight the great open to that fight is where you just hear <laughs> yeah, and you're yeah, like yeah. what is that but that's what's so great about it is, let's be honest okay that tomahawk right then and there put Burton down for good forever yeah. Yeah, that's and that now is our thing it's like you don't care you're along for the ride and like I said before I, mean, I think Burton gets the Burton gets hit with the tomahawk like three times yes oh and the trunk when the trunk opens and there's like a fucking dr giggles display yeah, of weaponry yes. and it's like grabs two scalpels my that, personal favorite moment is just decide there's a second of yes, just deciding looks, yeah. which yes. things he's gonna use yes. the, my favorite thing about that too is that he fights burton fights the first 45 seconds of the fight with his specs on, yes. and then when yeah. he's o- when, yes. when he's over there and he's away from her for one split then second, he has a second to take. Him yeah, off. I'm like, yeah, yeah yo, I, we, no, we don't half-ass anything we, on. We Beijing. don't half-ass anything. That comes from Adam and also from Marcus. They were both very, very clear. They were like, look, once the glasses come off in this fight, the fight is essentially over. Right. And the fans who really watch the show will know that once Burton takes the glasses off, the fight is over. Yeah, yeah. and you can sort of feel that happening. And you can kind of see Odette actually plays it really beautifully in the action sequence she knows that she's going to lose at a certain point and then keeps coming and so right. that's a, you know that goes to the three dimensionality of the character it's worth saying that the shooting of that sequence for me personally and I think for Odette as well that's the hardest thing I've ever done because the the challenge is not doing it once the challenge is doing it 300 times yes. because you start shooting at 7 in the morning yes. and you're shooting until sunset in 100 degree middle of the summer you know humidity in in North Carolina it turned out it was it was <laughs> yeah. just just by by whatever luck it was it was the absolute hottest day of the summer yeah. and it we they and the the getting back to the collaborative nature of it this to me was the most amazing part we had, there were so many people on set who had spent so many days and weeks prepping for that. We had dressers, costume people, makeup people, technical people, car people. Uh, there were medics on set. Everybody was prepped for that day so that that when it comes down to it, uh, Odette and I and Dave and Bonnie, who are actually doing the fight, feel like we're totally supported and we're able to actually do our job. Right. And that's the most amazing and collaborative thing about yeah. doing it. It's funny you talk about also visual effects. You talk about there's a big visual effects component in that scene as well. The whole throat thing and the whole yeah. that oh, is yeah. So it's a funny thing because Banshee... That was an which, hour of shooting yeah. the fight was just getting my hand right. into the latex thing and yeah. figuring out how I'll, CGI... I want to tell you a story man, that a little insight into the chopper <laughs> mind. But just, it's just against Banshee is a show that is seemingly very sort of down and dirty and gritty. We're a show that really employs a lot of of uh, of visual effects and a lot of the technology. That's another Greg thing about really pushing the show and pushing the medium to its next There's limit. A dog in this example. Yeah, great. in episode one, let's talk about the in four hundred two the dog. Bite. Oh god. Well, well, here's the thing, and that's a great that's a, a a great moment as well. <laughs> is that so? So we wrote this scene. We said we're going to do it. Um, there are two components to that scene. There is a puppet, a very expensive dog puppet that is actually <laughs> biting the guy's neck. That's a puppet. You know, um, with a little bit of, of vis effects enhancement to make it sort of you know play real. 
That is a real dog, obviously. So here we are, and we bring in a dog trainer from Los Angeles, um, and we're walking him through the scene. He's read the scene, and this is the cutest fucking dog you've ever seen. And he's literally wagging his tail, and he's saying, and he's in the box. And I remember I'm over there petting his head, and everything's great. And we're talking about, okay, we're staging the scene, we're blocking. Okay, let's do a test. You know, both for the cameraman position and both for every. Let's just do a test. And I look at the guy and go, "Okay, here we go. Let's do it." And the director gives him the cue to basically, and he snaps. And this dog goes from sweet, you know, sweet, cuddly, you know, to fucking Cujo. And everybody, a hundred people on the set, we're talking about like three hundred pound grips. Jump! This dog went fucking nuts, snarl. So that that what you see is there, there Academy Awards. What, no, what you acting? see there is is this dog. I mean, everybody was like, "Holy shit!" And then he snaps his finger, and the dog's just wagging. His tail again is amazing. So even the dog on this show is. But I just want to jump back real fast and talk about that scene because, again, for those of you who are in the television business or in the writing business, a lot of times you do a sequence, especially on a show where you don't do a lot of action sequences. You basically write, run, and jump. That's yeah, the joke. Yeah, you don't really say that, but you say, okay, action scene, and you put some broad strokes on the page. Um, because of Jonathan's background, again with with being a novelist, and and it's very important to him that everything is scripted. Every word is on the page. So that is basically a five-page action sequence um, that I did most of the writing on. We choreographed to get, you know, together, Jonathan and I, but I did most of the writing, and every roundhouse kick and every throat punch is basically scripted. (laughs) We then hand that off to our stunt team, you know, headed up by Mark Young, who's incredible in his own right, and takes that, and then he interprets it and says, what can we really do, you know, because a lot of stuff is put on the... be better if it's a spinning kick. it's it's my wish fulfillment. You know, Jonathan, in his own right, actually does have martial arts training. (laughs) Um, But basically, they then... then and he plays the piano but basically they he's a he's a he's a renaissance man um he's a polymath i don't know what that means um yes yes you went to some ivy league college i don't even know um but but basically you know we have the scene it's being interpreted and i remember writing that scene and the scene ended with burton grabbing the back of nola's head and slamming it down on the rolls royce hood emblem and basically crushing her throat and she crumbles down into his arms and dies and i remember giving Jonathan the scene and him reading it. And I could just see his wheels turning. And I'm going, what? He, and he goes, a very specific and he goes, face he goes, when his wheels he goes, it's not enough. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's I mean, not enough. That sounds enough. like an awesome death, too. I, I, yeah. it's, a, it's a four fucking hour fight sequence. It goes on. It's going to be 10 minutes of screen time. This is going to be intense. And he literally kills her by crushing her throat in a row. And he goes, it's just not enough. And I'm like, and he goes, what if? He jams his fist into the open hole in her neck and chokes her esophagus from the inside and then rips it out. And I just look at him and go, okay, we could do that. But that's just how it goes. Is Jonathan, who is this who is this sweet, introspective, very sort of soft-spoken, smart man, that's the shit that's in his brain, and it's amazing. And it's amazing. And you go, okay, we should do that. And and I think a great testament to all of our work is I have read in many places and heard people say it's the best fight sequence they've ever seen. I I agree. And I think one other thing that makes that work for me, and this is a writing thing, that when the scene started, I really didn't know who was going to win the fight. You know someone's going to die. And I didn't care. I was like, this is going to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Either way. Yeah, Yeah, you're like, because also Nola is a character that is like, like, I would say if... 
you want to say Banshee is Star Wars, Burton is Boba Fett. <laughs> in that he's like a small part, I'll but he's like that. culty favorite. He literally it. just got hard. I yeah. can see it. He literally, look at the smile on but his face. But I mean face. that. Like, Anthony is Han Solo. Like, uh, uh, Hood is Han Solo. And you're like, I want to be him. But then you're like, this guy over here is the coolest one. Yeah. He doesn't do enough, but maybe that's what makes him even better. But when he does something, it's, I mean... If you go back and watch Empire, everyone loves Boba Fett. He's in it for like six minutes or yeah, something in, like I that. Mean, yeah. But but that's what in that fight scene you're like, I fucking love Nola too, yeah. and oh god, one of them and, is and going. And they to were die. sort of on the upswing at that point. The the Native Americans, right? So yeah, you like, thought that they might. Are they going to take over? Oh yeah, or, oh yeah. You know. But look, that's a screenwriting one hundred and one lesson here. It's just but even a fight scene should still have a beginning, middle, and end. There yeah. still needs to be a drive and a theme to it, and and understand that what makes that fight so tangible at least for me is that it's not just two people fighting is that they both have very clear agendas what they're fighting for you know is that in that scene as i recall um it was because it was two years ago now i believe she threatens proctor and basically says i'm gonna go inside and fuck up your boss she so, says she says i'm gonna kill proctor and i'm gonna kill his niece right first i'm gonna kill you and then i'm gonna kill proctor and i'm gonna kill his niece so and instantly you understand you know that burton he's Burton's, in love with this man and his, and he, his whole yes. mo is loyalty to proctor right so That's you understand his does. clear agenda and then you have a character in nola who's basically avenging the yeah, murder of her brother, her brother. Right. so you understand mm-hmm. what they're fighting yeah, for it's not just two people neither kicking party ass. is a villain both parties are just doing what they are in their intent and, and that's much, what makes it. And yeah. very much to Adam and Jonathan's credit, I'm actually going to blow a little more smoke up your ass. Hold on, right let now. me stand up. There's, yeah, a stand lot up. Of, there's a lot of smoke going on yeah. in this room. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, we're high as fuck in here, but everyone's... <laughs> you can get high through your butt, apparently. The thing that I like most about that fight is not the actual fight, is that you learn about both of these characters in that sort of flashback way. Towards the end of the fight, you learn a little bit about Burton and where he comes from, and you learn a little bit about Nola and where she comes from, and so you know these people mm-hmm. better. So right before Nola dies, you, you have... A, an insight into the greater world of the show, the origins of the and show, and how much Chayton means right. to her. Yes, how, how much, much I forgot that was Proctor that was Burton's means. first kill ever. That was the first time he watched the life ebb out of somebody's eyes, and yes. that that was transformative for him. And the editing of that is, I mean, it, it, the whole thing is is very very clever. And you learn where Nola has come from and why she acts like she has nothing to lose because she has nothing to lose yeah. and then she loses the only thing that she loves which is her brother and so you understand the thing that drives her and to me that's part of the really interesting sort of thing about the show I just want to say this because she's so fucking awesome Odette Animal is basically the coolest person in the world and we had so much fun shooting that and it was we were all like don't die Nola don't go away I know I mean it's one thing to be an absolutely magnificently beautiful woman and then it's another oh, she's thing fine. Come another on. thing to be a very good actress and then it's another thing to play a fucking badass that swings she's a tomahawk she's super fun yeah, she's super I'm fun. like please you just get like 12 bonus points if you carry an act we had such a great me. time together it's funny actually after we shot the scene uh, we all went out and we went to this bar in Charlotte. As I recall, there may have been a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue involved. There was a, there was a, a, a very large magnum of Johnny Walker Blue. I have a video on my phone of Odette and I drunkenly acting out the fight at three in the morning. <laughs> That's where you got the bruise from. Yeah, probably where I got the bruise, right? Uh, I have just a couple of quick... We're, uh, we're nearing our end of time here. I just have a couple oh, of quick Burton questions because yep. I'm so curious about... There's that sequence where Burton oversees uh, um, Proctor's niece doing something a little sketchy and uh, she goes to seduce him and reaches into his pants and then has like a look of fear in yes. her eyes. Yes. Do we, do we have, has that been explained? I have only seen a couple of Banshee origins. Uh, should I go back and watch all of them while I learn I, I, will, I will say this. It's never explained in the origins. It's never explicitly said that's what, so cool by what, design what it is um i have an idea 
about what it is uh, that I think Jonathan and Adam both share. Uh, I think the truth is that it was an idea that I had in season, I think it was at the beginning of season three, I said something to Jonathan about it and I saw him sort of like twist on it. And the truth is, one of the things that's so scary about Burton is that you don't really know. I know that's why what right. drives. We him. were and pitching. So, we were pitching like literally this morning to each other. I what think, Burton's backstory? I think Adam and Jonathan have walked the line of revealing things about Burton, but not revealing things about Burton to keep him sort of the scariest guy in the world, but also knowing a little bit about yeah. who he is. So, I'm also going to break some people's hearts right now. And a little spoiler: you will not ever find out what right. Lucas Hood's real name is. In the same way, you will never find out what's in Clay Burton's pants. Ah, that's awesome. And that and that <laughs> is. Both of those things don't matter ultimately it to the story. That's matter. exactly and, right. It and, has nothing to do with the world right. of Banshee. And, and it's a, when you asked that question, I was going to say, you tell us. What do you think's in his Right, because that's, that's what all that matters. We were like... In my head, I was like, maybe he was like some weird cultish, like Opus Dei type guy, and he was a eunuch, and then he was whipped, and then it's like, or maybe he's that was part of his torture, or maybe that's something Burton is like, I don't want to be a slave to anything, sure. like, you know, like, nothing, like, nothing that we tell you. There's a theory on the internet that Burton is actually a woman. Yeah, I I, 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 I put that on the internet. I'm going to be honest. Put that, out there. I, that was me. I mean, that would be. A I great take full credit for that. I've, I've been playing that. a trans Twitter. I, haven't seen it. I don't remember where I saw. It. I saw it last night somewhere when I was. Oh, or maybe it was Hoon. Maybe Hoon was channeling a little, a <laughs> yeah. little Job. Um, I, I, I will say that no answer that we give you to those questions will ever no. satisfy what's in your answers. mind, and that's why. And that was Jonathan still. He's like, he's like, what name are we going to give this guy that will ever satisfy? Once you know it, you know the joke yeah. is. I know Ant likes to tell people his name was Gary. You know, <laughs> all right, great. It was Gary. no, well, you know what I mean. So, so that there are some things are no, best left also, in the. Also, eyes. That also makes the moment with Siobhan much more powerful because yeah, you he know whispers it in her ear. Yeah, she knows, but then she's immediately. But here's the thing about Banshee, right? Once you know Lucas Hood's name, you have to die. It's inevitable that right. you die on the show, right? When you're in, uh, in, in Sergio Leone Westerns, right? The man with no name is the man with no name. Yeah. Lucas Hood is not Lucas Hood. He is the man with no name. The show is structured very much like a pulpy Western. Yeah. And once you learn the name of Lucas Hood, it, by, you, you sort of shit the bed on the mystery of who he is and what the mystery of Banshee is and the mysteriousness of it, it actually makes it work better. You don't... I have a very specific idea about what's going on with Clay Burton and where he comes from and what drives him and his connection to Proctor and how he feels about Rebecca and all this kind of stuff, right? If I told you that, that's way less interesting than whatever is going on in the recesses of your mind to me. And that's the thing that makes all of these characters really function. Where does Job come from? Who cares? Who's Lucas Hood? Who cares? Because you put all of these people together in this you know, fucked up little town in Western Pennsylvania and all of a sudden you've got this yeah. kind of outfit. But I, I love geez. when you see flashes of backstory and it's impossible for you to figure out the connections. Yeah. It makes it that much stronger. You're like, all right, so I know Hood was in jail for 15 years. Yeah. I know he also did some sort of weird black ops shit. Yeah. You know he was also a, a thief and, you, and then it's like, how does this, and who cares? It's yeah. just like, it all yeah. just informs what you're watching. Yeah. It just justifies why by the uh, if I if we get Anthony on the show, I'll say this to him. I don't think there's a person who gets beat up like since Bruce Willis. No one plays a hero that gets his ass kicked better. And and he will tell you that too that he's he's, he's been beat up more than show. anybody. I, I just I, as a teaser for what's to come, I will tell you that to to Matt's point, the season of banshee that you're about you know the rest of these episodes we do give you more information about these characters and their backstory than we ever have before not that we give them too much it's a fine balance yeah. between what is the right answer but you will learn more about uh -huh. where these people come from who they are and what's making them tick and I that was, was for, that was he was a thief hood was a temp 
in New York City. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's the that's was the a, big reveal at the end. He They're was like, a Brian. He was a stenographer in the courts. Brian, right? could you please read that back? He still needs to answer for the uh, for the New York City bus sliding down Fifth Avenue, and no one ever answered for that one. Who paid for that? <laughs> um, guys, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us great, about man. this. Thanks for having this us. literally turned from a group of comedians that all happen to be fans of Banshee. Just talk about it on an episode of podcast. Next thing you know, Cinemax emails you and goes, "We can get you." And they were like, "Would That's you want so to cool. talk to her?" Like, whoever the fuck. <laughs> and yeah, she's like, it was crazy. It happened overnight. It happened we like, overnight. It's like, fuck? we can get you, uh, Adam. We can get you, Maddie Rouch, who plays. We're like, we know who he plays. Yeah, yeah. We'll take. Yes, that's fucking awesome. So yeah. we turned from fanboys into press by like, and, and well, Adam says this a lot. We make the show for the fans. The yep. fans love the yep. show. It's so it's fun for so us. So tell a friend and thank you guys. Show. Honestly, it is. It is exactly. You are the guys we're making. So to hear that level of enthusiasm yeah. and that so we did cool. our job, so it just cool. makes us want to you know push harder and, and do the same thing on the next project, whatever we comes next. So thank you. Gabrus and I are going to have nothing to talk about. Literally, we're not going to use any names because we don't want to ruin any future chances, but we've been trying out other shows that we heard were in the vein and they're all just like copies. I'm just going to say my own personal opinion. Maybe if enough people watch this season and we get enough sort of buzz and enough fervor out there, then who knows? Maybe there's a Banshee you know, reunion show. In this. I don't know. About I'm just throwing it out there. a Banshee movie. I'm, I'm just mean, saying, I'm just saying you know, we could do yes. this. And that's another part that we love about this is that we became such huge fans and this is so not self-serving because in Hollywood it would be like we would be actively pursuing getting staff writing jobs or acting <laughs> jobs on Banshee but it's already uh, past the last season we'll take a so it doesn't feel like there's nothing like, oh, although you're like oh a prequel episode. You know, yeah. I, I actually want to tease a little bit about, about season four as well. One yeah. of the things that we, the advantage of season four that we had was that we knew and the writers knew and the actors knew uh, pretty early in the process that we were going to end the show. And so we had an opportunity to go out very much on our own. And an obligation as well. And an obligation to the fans to do it right. Tropper basically said, ultimately it was his decision, and he basically said, I don't want to make a shitty fifth season. I feel like we're getting to the end of the story, and let's end the story on our own terms. Nothing excites fans more. Like, I would would want the show to either go on forever or to know it's going to end. I believe you're going to get to the end of the show, and it's going to be... It, it you're going to want it to go on forever and you're going to say that's exactly the ending it's supposed to be. It's a very satisfying ending. You're going to learn a lot about the show. You're going to learn a lot about the people on the show. And you're also not going to learn everything that you think you want to learn. Yeah, and awesome. ultimately, I think it's it's really, really well handled. and I, It's very exciting and the finale is fucking amazing. It's oh, amazing. awesome. We can't wait. Uh, so do you guys, do you have anything that you want to plug outside of Friday nights on Cinemax at 10 o'clock, right? Um, <laughs> I, I have to just because uh, now they're paying me. But uh, coming very soon, thereafter um, I believe the premiere is now uh, June 6th or at least the first week of June uh, Outcast uh, the new show based on Robert Kirkman's, Kirkman's uh, comic trade, book yeah. um, which stars Patrick Fugit and um, it is it is also it sort of takes the exorcism concept and also takes it to the next level awesome. uh, Banshee style First season is great. great We're now great currently breaking the second season, um, and it uh, it's 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 got a lot of great things, and it takes some of those tropes again and some of those cliches and really evolves them, and takes them to the next level. So I, I highly recommend everyone checks that out. 
That's and uh, awesome. Clay Burton will be doing stand up in Vegas next week. Alongside alongside Carrot Top. Matt Matt is a pop comic. I play a guy who yeah. adopted too many cats <laughs> on right. NBC's Too Many Cats. Clay <laughs> and his kitties. <laughs> uh, what's next for you, Matt? Or anything else you want to uh, plug? I've been working in TV. I'm also doing uh, some writing. I was lucky enough to be able to write some of the origins on the show this year. And, oh, uh, fun! That's and direct awesome. some of those episodes. I'm wow. sort of branching out and. You know, hopefully, uh, working for Adam and Tropper for the rest of my life. So you went from a, you went from a stage actor, classic trained. Now, are you like auditioning for roles of absolute badasses and stuff like that? You know, Have you opened it up a little it's, bit? It's funny. Uh, I sort of you don't I, come across as an absolute badass currently. I, I know. The, the funny thing <laughs> is that before I got Burton, it, it's a role that I never would have been seen for, and so. Uh, it, it's opened up a sort of a, a different world for me, and it's been really, really great. And so I'm I'm having different oh, opportunities, so cool. and I'm you know I'm uh, I did a play last year in New York, and I'm looking forward to doing another play in New York at some point. And uh, you know it's th- this whole experience has been amazing. When I got the job uh, four years ago, I basically thought it was two or three episodes, and the next thing I knew, Tropper and Schickler and Greg Utanis and then Adam and Lonnie and OC, they kind of embraced Burton and embraced me and the fans and, and the, the fans, fans which I think it. helps. Well, the truth Producers is, the truth is, Matt earned that. Yeah. It really, it, it's, it's, it was about the work. It was about the screen presence. It's about, you know, the tool that he gave us to work with that was, that was undeniable. Well, it's so. just one of those cool things where it's like, this guy has a badass sidekick who's quiet. And then all of a sudden, everyone is like, this dude's amazing. This dude's amazing. And <laughs> so it's like, oh, hey, let's make his backstory. Like, you I know, you just, really and let's be honest, you know, Matt makes Ulrich look better standing next to him. I mean, it's just a, it's just a nice combo. <laughs> it is, it Wait is a cool a thing. Minute. Like, yeah. I was, I was looking at that in episode 402 today. It's, there's some weird symbiotic relationship. You there. know, you talk about the funny alchemy and the and the and the chemistry of the show. I, I will say, Ulrich and I are really close. We had a really great, fantastic relationship. Well, I mean, you're, you're, almost and, all of your scenes are shot with. Yeah, him. yeah basically, yeah. I spent my whole most of my Banshee experience shooting with Ulrich and with Lily, yeah. and I love both of them very, very much. We had a great relationship. The three of us, we all got along really well. It's three very different actors, three very different personalities, but the the kind of magic that happened just just sort of sitting at lunch you know together uh was really great and i the, 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 there's piece, an incredible connection between the two of you without ever even looking at each other i right. think the truth is that i mean I, I can't speak for ulrich i i know that for me ulrich is an amazing actor he's yes. a really good funny strange guy and an amazing <laughs> actor and we respect each other tremendously and and once we realized that we were on the same page in terms of what the relationship between Proctor and Burton was, it, it was very easy. We never, ever had a hard time on set I, together. I, I will say, I noticed this, now that you say it too, I, 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 it points out even more, that uh, Proctor is a little different. He's not as, like, he only breaks down or you see any weakness when Burton is not around. Right. When Burton's around, he is, like, bolstered by the, con- like, he's yeah. he's even more badass when Burton yeah. is around. It, but when he's not is when you see Proctor, and, and not even just badass, just calm. Yeah. Well, we should when probably Burton's take a minute to talk about 402 real fast. But, <laughs> but, but again, talking about Proctor is that, as we talk about creating a nuanced dimensional character, and cl- he's our classic villain in the, but we understand the loss the tremendous loss that 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 him. right 100%. that the loss of his beloved niece ripples through because the truth is and we've gotten a lot of shit about the incest of it all the truth is that these are two lost souls who only have one other person on the planet that they truly connect with and that loss has tremendous impact on Proctor both in the episodes you've seen and the ones that are coming that you haven't seen um and it is a very different 
Proctor. Um, and and it's, again, you know, brought to life by, by a masterful Ulrich Thompson, who is the oddest man on the face of the earth. And I hope <laughs> that so they can't hear this podcast in, uh, in, in Denmark. But um, I, I was— I love uh, that man forever. I yeah. love him. I love his family. He's so fucking weird. I just <laughs> yeah. love the guy. Ulrich and the writing makes you somehow feel sympathy— for a dude who's a crime boss, who's done nothing, even his relationship yeah. with his niece, which has that little weird incest element that we, like all of that stuff would make you write a human being off, but you still give yeah. a shit Because he's about a victim Proctor. too. Yeah, and that's right. what's very important is that when you understand the dogma and the hypocrisy and the repression that he was, you know, indoctrinated to as a young child, you start to understand why he's as fucked up as he is. And this um, gets to the three-dimensional version of the characters. You yeah. know, Proctor is a person who is not a two-dimensional villain. He's a person who wants things and needs things and has, you know, clearly has trust issues and has, you know, has a really fucked up past. And the, you know, it, watching Ulrich work and working with him for four years has been just absolutely yeah. fantastic. And he has a nice new uh, Mercedes Maybach this season, too, courtesy has, of Mercedes-Benz USA. Thanks, guys. Courtesy of a uh, Targum pitch, I feel like, as courtesy well. It was, and I, and I may have USA. ended up with my own Mercedes for the use during seven months in Pittsburgh. But either way, thank you, Mercedes-Benz USA. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, wait till you see the kind of Mercedes we'll be driving on Outcast season two if you come through. For I got a different show, unfortunately. A lot this summer, and let me tell you, it's a really nice. Thing. <laughs> awesome. If you have four hundred thousand dollars, I recommend you have I the means. I recommend you pick one up. All right, people, you've heard the fucking conversation. If you're not watching Banshee, you pa- should be watching pause Banshee. This po- pause this. Well, shut it off. It's over. But go back, watch first three seasons, binge them, buy Cinemax, get Cinemax on demand, do all the shit you need to do, and then start DVRing these episodes. And- otherwise, Burton may show up at your house. Yeah, otherwise, Burton may show up at your house. And although he seems charming, I feel like you don't want to see the Burton side of Matt. <laughs> Matt brought the glasses home. He has the glasses. That's all I have oh, to say. That's awesome. both, I have both pairs of glasses. That's a on great. My desk at home. That's a great. Uh, there was there are two different pairs. There was the pair from seasons one through three, and then we slightly changed the glasses in season four. And if you really are paying attention, it's a different pair. And I have both pairs sitting oh, on my desk. So it's uh, so awesome. Yeah. So this is uh, coming out the Monday after episode two. That means that there's six more episodes in this season, correct? Uh, yeah. Uh, so get on it. Get on it. And we'll be doing six more episodes of this. We got some other great guests lined up. You probably already listened to the uh, Trop episode we did based on t- I'm doing like Banshee se- uh, season four now four months ago we months ago <laughs> four months forward <laughs> right. four days ago right, right. right. We, we were watching it we were like four days ago oh right because a day has right. passed in the show <laughs> good luck well there's a I will say the whole thing is sort of a mystery season four is basically a mystery and when you watch the whole thing and then for the real fans who I know go back and watch it again piecing it together after you know how it ends is going to be really cool because it all makes absolute perfect sense. And if it doesn't, give Matt a call and he'll talk you through it. (laughs) (laughs) And as always, thank you to Sean Conroy, my fellow fanchies, Ben Rogers. Thanks for coming in, guys. Sorry that Sean Clements wasn't with us today. He's actually off filming something with Matt Servito, who was supposed to be a guest on an episode two. Small world. Guys, thanks for listening, shitheads. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Oh, yeah, please. Thank you guys for coming in. This is awesome. You were not calling them shitheads. No, no, no. no. Thanks, (laughs) shitheads. Definitely shitheads. I don't know our shitheads, too. Oh, shit. Matt just took his glasses off. We're all fucked. (laughs) Thank you. Later. That was a HeadGum Podcast.